What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Making the Turn, the premier green industry podcast that highlights professionals across many areas, including golf course management, sports turf, sales, business, education, landscaping, and more. Making the Turn is hosted by me, BJ Parker. I've spent nearly 25 years in the green industry, mostly as a golf course superintendent, and now I want to bring the knowledge and insight from myself and the many people I've met and continue to meet along the way. Making the Turn will provide valuable content for those looking to learn from others, gain useful tips and tricks, and be better in their daily lives. You can find Making the Turn on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, share, and subscribe. It helps keep the podcast growing and getting better. Thanks for listening, and welcome to another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And uh, today I have a guest with me. He is the uh, Director of Field Operations at the Memphis Redbirds, Eric Taylor, how are you, sir? Man, on top of the world. We're on uh, top of the world. We're having to do this virtually, and and uh, we were talking earlier. Um, you have about two foot of snow, you said over there, Memphis. Yeah, almost, yeah. almost two feet. Yeah, which is extremely rare for Memphis. Well, we, uh, I'm just, I'm just west of Nashville, and we have. I was telling you, we have about, uh, I'd say we between eight and ten inches. It's pretty close. It's uh, right. we're still jammed up here. I'm hoping the sun's going to burn all this stuff off. But yeah, right now it's uh, 13 degrees, and I think the windshield was seven minus 17 last night. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a bear to uh, deal with. But. Yeah. Well, how you dealing with it all? Is it shut work down? How's all that going? Yeah, I mean it's basically shut. Our, I mean the roads and everything, nobody can get in. So uh, we we just basically took this week. I wouldn't say took it off. I mean front office still came in. Trying to sell, we finally got a major uh, minor league baseball schedule. So trying to put that out. Uh, obviously, I can still do a lot of stuff from home. I'm still finalizing my plan of attack as far as you know, uh, the people, the budget, how all that works. Really starting to kind of uh, finalize my plan of what I want to do. Sure. Well, um, you recently just moved, so talk about that and how that came about and, and how long you've been down there yeah so i moved here man uh december the 5th uh, my last day with the smokies was on the december the 4th and started on the 7th um they were just kind of looking to do a to do a little bit of an overhaul uh in this department uh like just doing some different things covid really i heard this team uh, the year before and Brian Bow, uh, a phenomenal guy. He uh, he decided to pr- pursue other career options and stuff like that. And, sure. Uh, they reached out to me back in, uh, really back about the middle of the summertime, and we kind of started chit chatting a little bit about that. And then, you know, one thing leads to another. You have a couple Zoom calls, you have a couple phone calls. Next thing you know, you're sitting in a room for an interview, and next thing you know, you're here and you're in the middle of it. Yeah. So, uh, so far it's been awesome. I don't see why it wouldn't continue to be awesome. Uh, I do miss, uh, you know, some friends back in the East part of, uh, Tennessee and yep. kind of got back here. You know, I was at Jackson for two years, so 
got to see some old friends as well. So it's been it's been kind of a, a good. It's not no roller coaster here so far. It's been all good. So. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, um, so let's start kind of at the beginning because we've just met and talked, and and I, it's fun to like I was telling you, it's fun to sit down with guys in our industry that I wouldn't normally get to interact with, and this is what I enjoy probably most about doing this podcast. But talk about right. your career and where you started, kind of what how you got. Uh, you a Tennessee boy? How how's things you know kind of progressed in your career? Yeah, so originally from Gadsden, Alabama. Uh, uh oh, you a you a roll time? Uh, Auburn guy, but I've been oh, on a high. Now they've let Malzahn go. I can dig some shirts out of the closet now. But uh, there you go. So uh, the first golf course I ever worked at was the Trent Jones Golf Trail. Uh, just you know, really, really did it to kind of just getting playroom privileges and and all that was good and then kind of started getting more involved and more involved and I installed the sub air system at, at that course and learned how to spray and next thing you know I'm doing a little bit more and uh, ended up working at Gazin Country Club part time and then I ended up going full time there uh, ended up at Farm Links during the construction phase of that oh, cool. uh, worked with some phenomenal superintendents there John Tidwell and Mark Langner uh, who were Still really close to my heart as far as uh, friendships and mentorships go and stuff. Uh, sure. And uh, even though me and Mark Langer used to be at each other's throats all the time, I, I have to call him about every other month and tell him I'm sorry for all my antics back in the past. <laughs> but, and he, he always says it's no problem, but uh, at the time it was. Uh, ended up going to South Florida to Card Sound, which is in Key Largo. It's a private club inside of a club, real high money. Uh, Super detail work, uh, really, really, uh, really fine, fine tuning uh, what we do for a living. I mean, it was precise applications of mowing to fertility, like the whole gamut. Yeah. Uh, ended up going to Beth Page uh, on the black course. And then the whole time I was trying to get into sports turf, so I ended up with the Atlanta Braves left the Braves to go back into building golf courses because I didn't realize the hours we put in in a sports field. You know, I was leaving Beth Page. It's like, man, you know, we got hundreds and hundreds and thousands of acres here. I mean, how hard can it be to go work at a sports field, you know? And, man, was I wrong. And got burned out real fast. Uh, Went back to building some golf courses and then ended up going to work for the Barons and – uh, the start of 14 and wanted to reinvent how I just did a lot of different things. Right. Uh, the way how I went about myself, to how I treated people to everything inside those walls too, you know, uh, running a crew, managing people. So Dan Ruggiero gave me a shot there and resurrected really my career and then ended up getting a head groundskeeping position finally uh, with the Jackson Generals. And then spent two years there. We won back-to-back field of the year from the Tennessee Turf Association and then ended up going to Kodak. Uh, we won the Tennessee Turf Grass Field of the Year award there my first year, and then we just won the uh, national STMA field of the year in Kodak as well and then ended up coming here. So my niche is over the past few years just kind of going to, uh, you know, fixing fields and fixing sure. departments and stuff like that uh, Jackson was there was some phenomenal groundskeepers there before me. They just got hamstrung. Like the city didn't want 
do a whole lot with it, wouldn't give them the resources, wouldn't give them the money, wouldn't give them the equipment, wouldn't even, and, and when I say wouldn't even give it to them, they didn't even have an answer. It was just no. Right. You know, they, and it really pushed those guys into some different areas, but all the guys that were there before me are, I mean, you got phenomenal groundskeepers. Uh, you got, you know, Tyler Brewer, you got Marty Wallace. Marty Wallace is at uh, University of Tennessee. Now, I'm not sure where Tyler's at, but some unbelievable guys. And then, uh, you know, Anthony DeFeo, he was at Kodak, and then there was a guy in between us. But it was kind of the same situation. They had only given Anthony just kind of so much he could do. But uh, most groundskeepers, we all just want more, or superintendents or whatever. We just want more, or we need more. Yeah. And um, and the guys that I followed, man, like uh, it, it was interesting because I learned a lot from them, even though I'd never worked with them before. Yeah. You know? So, but uh, and, and now I'm here. Do you ever miss the golf side of things, or do you, are you fully into the, the the sports turf world now? You know, there's there's things about golf that I do miss, and um, and what's different about it, and the things that I miss are um, having your crew there all year round. Sure, right, like. Um, you know, in baseball, usually the crew kind of, you know, they get laid off or whatever in the wintertime. You're not around those guys as much. So you miss out on a lot of the lunches, the the poking fun at each other. Yeah. And, I mean, I know this is a terrible word, but, you know, like how we just kind of haze each other a little bit, you know. And, yep. and, you know, some of the best, you know, some of the best memories come from cutting down trees or whatever, you know, stuff like that. But, uh but for me, I like, I kind of like the stage, you know, I like uh, putting on the events, the games, yep. uh, whether it's high school or a pro event or a concert. Like, I like that challenge more than just the everyday routine of golf, you know. Um, and golf, you know, like, you know, trying to, you just got to rely on so much to go your way. It's out of your control as far as shotgun. You got to rely on, you know, if you're having an eight o'clock shotgun or a nine o'clock shotgun, you got to rely on X amount of guys to be on their game. Yeah. And the way golf's going and booming, it's, you know, it's not two days a week now. It's five days a week. You got to have your guys ready to go every morning. And, and it's tough, man. I mean, you're waking up at four, you know, three thirty, four, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. Yep. And, and you got to rely on a lot of people and a lot of people, you know, a lot of things have just got to go your way. Yeah. Equipment's got to work and not break down and stuff. But for baseball, um, I definitely, like, I'm able to take all my detail work and not spread it over the 100, 200 acres or 300 acres. I'm able to concentrate it into two and a half. And, like, here I'll have a crew of about 12 and I have four interns from Mississippi State, Iowa State, Kansas State, University of Rhode Island, uh, full-time assistant. So when you're able to concentrate that kind of thing into a playing surface, you can make some pretty cool things happen. Right, right. right. You build a good – you still get to build the relationship with the crew that you could on a golf course. Um, 
it, it is a pretty uh, pretty good friendship that you end up building with these, but they end up tending to be, you know, once winter hits, it's time for them to find something or go to another property or whatever. So yeah. that's the biggest difference is you, you kind of, you don't get the longevity of some of the relationships you would. You know, sure. there's some golf courses. Guy's been there 25 years, and some of their right-hand guys on the crew's been there 30, 35. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Or a mechanic's been there for... 40 years um, and that is one thing i definitely miss because i'm not a mechanic by any means but i would love to have a home mechanic here <laughs> yeah I, i've always said that outside of the, the head guy superintendent or whatever i mean the mechanic is the next most important person because i mean if i'm if we're a good mechanic we're pretty much not that great at, at growing grass can't be great at both of them and you really need someone who's good at you know i you can be a dangerous i guess you know and that's kind of what i say is i can I can do enough to get by, but I'm never a great mechanic. I need somebody else. One of the best things I ever did for my career was early on, I kind of thought that I would always be somewhere where I didn't have a mechanic. And That's so smart. I got on to, so that whole winter, like, hey, man, show me how to backlap, show me how to do this, show me how to, you know, check contacts and make sure this thing's cutting right or set the height. Now, if it's Toro, I can kind of fix it, but anything else I struggle with. Big yeah. time. Like I can expose really fast. Yeah. But, uh, I can I can turn on my truck and change a battery, <laughs> but that's about it. So, uh, but yeah, it's uh, I would love to have a, a mechanic. That would be the ultimate, the ultimate yeah. goal. Well, it sounds like that's a something that might be in the works then. <laughs> could be, could be. Well, I would say I would say. Um, but being by guess, having all the knowledge that you've had from golf and some of the places you've even been, that that does, you know, that's, that gives you the ability to focus on a smaller area, on a higher detail, and take those things. Because, you know, as superintendents, we're jack-of-all-trades, but, I, you know, it's it really comes down to how your greens are, and you focus a lot of your time on the, you know that small acreage, although you have all these other distractions. Now you're kind of just, like, confined to – the playing surface and, you know, and, right. and so you can, you can sort of zero in on that mentality that, you know, you don't have a bunch of other, you know, useless acres. I mean, you should probably do, you have some that you just don't pay as much attention to, but outside of that, that's where your golf kind of background would, I think would flourish. Yeah. There's, there's that aspect. I mean, you got to figure out how to, you know, in golf, you got to figure out how to get yourself out there all over your golf course, you know, here, I mean, the best way I've explained it to some uh, some of my golf course guys is our field is it's the number 18th green sitting in front of the clubhouse, and every board member happens to live right beside. Yeah, like it has to, that, you know. That's but uh, that's that's about the only analogy I can kind of come up well, with. Well, it's, it's pretty accurate, I would say. Uh, you know, I right. mean, you you got everybody staring at what you know your your work. I mean, you don't have places you can hide or go do something or, you know, things that are taken away from people's focus, you know, it's got to, right. you got to be on top of it. There is that aspect yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. And the, the aspect as far as like turf goes, you know, as far as like disease and some sicknesses and everything, I mean, there were so many different diseases that I've actually seen and there would never be a problem out here. Right. Yeah. Because I was either in the North or I was in the far South or whatever, but, 
it does give you an idea of like, like this can potentially happen. You know, like there's all those other things. I mean, I talked to a guy the other day. He'd been a superintendent for 30, I think it was like 36 years, and he had never seen Fusarium before. And like my third year doing any of this, Fusarium took away like 16 of our greens. Sure. You know? Yeah. And, but it's just kind of cool. Like I've seen it. He hasn't, but we got to pick each other's brain about it and yeah. that kind of thing. Or, you know, just dollar spot or whatever. But the only thing that we're really concerned with out here is dollar spot, kind of, but really just kind of pithy because of the tarp. And yeah. then, but we do a curative, and my curative plan came from, you know, all the stuff we had applied on a golf course before. Yeah. Um, what is- yeah, I, I try to take a lot from there sure. and bring it to bring it to here yeah. and when game when super tense reach out to me or, or I've talked or play at their course or whatever, like we just like, we kind of grow grass just a completely different way, but I mean, it's still growing grass. Sure. And sometimes I just kind of get lost. Like, man, I just don't feel like I could give you a good greens program, you know, cause we, we, tend, to, we tend to juice ours up a little bit. Right. So, well, what, what's your what's the responsibility though? I mean, how do you have how many fields do you have? What 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 are you kind of looking at as far as the total responsibility? Yeah, so in Kodak was a different story. Kodak, I had four stadiums. Okay. And uh, in Jackson, I had just the stadium, but I also had uh, twenty four acres outside the stadium. Here, uh, I have uh, close to two acres of landscaping. And then we have a rooftop garden, uh, and then just the and then just the field, okay. which, um, pretty much I have an intern and another game day worker who is into landscaping. So they're basically going to manage the landscaping and the flower garden. Uh, so we're trying to break that down, and and then we have the two acres of field. Yeah. So, what uh, what uh, type you you did on Bermuda? Pretty much, yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's north. It's north bridge Bermuda. North so overseas right now. There's like uh, 600 pounds of seed out right now. We got the blankets on, and then we got another big white blanket on top of that. So, <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think everybody that's got uh, Bermuda grass greens has got their better have theirs covered for sure. But then that extra layer of snow helps out no doubt. No doubt. big time. Yeah. I mean, what- Good thing that I do feel like this is going to help us is how much rain we got before this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And just moisture in the ground. Yeah. So we should be – I mean, I think this is the first year that I've really not had any concern about any kind of winter kill. Yeah, I, you know, that that's always the big – that's always the big um, – factor is the, the the level of moisture in the ground you know you know this you've been doing it long enough i mean it really comes down to if it's if it's dry these some serious concerns start to pick right. up but with it uh being um you know as much water as we've had the cold temperature i think everything's going to be fine and i mean i imagine the greens that i help take care of are going to start i mean they'll start they'll start perking up here in, in no time i mean this time of year it doesn't take much and they just jump out of there right. so you know, my target's usually to try to turn this thing on about, you know, the last couple of days in February, we'll start to put out some some very light granular stuff. Yep. And we'll try to get this thing really kind of starting to wake up the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, 
you know, that first week and then really try to get it dialed in by the 15th. I've always said if we're not ready by the 15th or the 20th, we're not going to make it for the season. I mean, because that gives us really two and a half weeks to get this thing going. So when is the season start for you? Our opening day is, I believe it's April the 6th this year. Okay. Uh, MLB starts like that the 28th or the 29th. We just now got a schedule. And where that becomes difficult is July the 10th is usually when we're able to see the next year's schedule. Yeah. So we're just now getting a schedule. So our front office, as far as, you know, selling tickets, birthday parties, group outings, advertising, all that stuff. I mean, they're even even behind the eight ball. Is that because of, is that because of the COVID stuff or just the, un, the uncertainty? Yes, sir. I mean, see? we right. We didn't know if you know are, are we going to play, or are we not going to play, or are we going to be a taxi squad, or are we not going to be a taxi squad, or we're going to have fans? Can we not have fans? So there's all these other protocols that we got to deal with now. That I mean, we just not not used to dealing with yeah. how many fans can we have, you know, uh, do you have to test every fan that comes in all the way down to, you know, when we drag in the bottom of the third and the bottom of the sixth, my guys can't go in the dugout to get the drag. So we're going to have to figure out another way to do that. And, um, and we have to sanitize the drag. So there's going to be a lot, there's going to be a lot to do which I do think at the end of the day, there's a chance that we may have to come in an hour early for the few first couple of home stands to just make sure that we can do and get done what we got to get done because of the extra stuff that COVID's going to put on us. Is that league-mandated uh, protocols that you're having to do, is, or is that internal? Yeah, it's pretty much going to be league-mandated. Man- it's also going to be, you know, everybody's got their city ordinances to do and all that sure. stuff. And, I mean, here's the other thing, you know, for our situation, it's going to be better the more careful we are. I mean, if a couple of players get tested for COVID or by, you know, by test positive, I, I had it back in uh, December, but, you know, if they have to shut us down, then we lose a week of baseball. Yeah. That's a, that's a bad business. That's going to hurt us extremely, you know, bad. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things. Let's be, just, just be safe and sorry and just try to keep this thing rolling, you know. Yeah, that's the, uh, you know, we've all, I mean, to some degree, it's been kind of a strange year and people have figured it out and league, you know, the professional leagues, baseball, I mean, uh, football, basketball, they're, they're working their way through it, but they don't play every day. I mean, it's, that's the, you know, so baseball is one of those things. It's got a lot more complications, I would think, because there's so many games every day, you know. If you lose a week of baseball, what do you do? How does that compare to another team? So there's a lot that goes into it, and I think that's why baseball might be a little complicated in just getting started and trying to figure everything out because, to me, nobody really kind of still understands where this thing is going or what they're going to do. So that's kind of my two cents anyways. Yeah, it's – you know, even the same – thing for golf i mean you watch the waste management tour and it's just not the same tournament without everybody there at 16 you know? no but uh you know the nfl as many people that don't watch the nfl in the south but the nfl i do believe saves sports you know in a really good way and you know we can you know because some of those teams couldn't have fans some teams could have fans sure they didn't shut it down because nobody could or everybody could or whatever the case was, you know, but everybody 
kind of had to do their own protocols. Yep. And so it really opened the eyes to what can they do in the NBA? They weren't stuck. They're not stuck in Florida anymore or, you know, golf. They let a few fans in and some personal things. They're just trying to feel like, trying to figure out how they can logistically move all these people and stay safe about this thing. And, and here it's going to trickle down. I think, I mean, you hit it on the head. I mean, you got, I think we, you know, we probably average like 7,400 people a game. Well, there's only three real main entrances. Well, that's a, that's a big deal. Yeah. 70 times a year, you know, and you're talking about six nights in a row. It's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. Oh, I is can... it a situation where you know we take care of the field early in the pregame stuff and rush up to help everybody? Well, you're adding ten people, fifteen people to that problem, you know, or yep. you know, what, who knows what you do? What's yep. what's the best plan? You throw a bunch of noodles at the wall and see which one which one sticks, right? I guess I don't know. Well, that's all you can do. I mean, the the. I think one of the greatest things about it all is you have the ability. We as turf managers have the ability to adapt and try to and right. stick and move and, and and adjust where we need to. I mean, it's it's frustrating, and everybody you know doesn't always understand that. But yeah, I mean, we're as good equipped with what we can do and how to how to figure things out as anybody. And and that's but you know, at some point you want a level of you know structure and certainty about what you're going to be doing because it can get you know frustrating for everybody else that doesn't really understand that i mean your your right. crew sometimes just goes i don't want to i don't want to do this or i don't feel like having to do it this way and you're like you know we got to do it this way that's the only way we can do it so i mean i think that that i know from your golfing background and being a superintendent i mean that, that just part of the nature of being in this business is being able to just especially around here when mother nature can throw you a curveball every five minutes, you know? Right. So, I mean, well, you know, like talking to the interns that are coming in and, and the assistant is, especially my assistant. I mean, he's been with me. He was with me in Jackson. He went to Kodak. Now he's coming here. And it's like, man, you know, everything that we did, all of our plan is out the door, out the door. We may, we may have to, because usually the day before the homestand is pretty hectic. Yeah. We may have to cut that in half, and then just so we can always allow time for, we didn't think of that, or we didn't do that, or however else we got to help in to maybe sanitize or whatever. So it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I'd be lying too if I wasn't saying like I was kind of looking forward to the challenge, you know? Sure. But uh, definitely want to see what we can do to, to get this thing going and get it back on track and get this business running again. Have y'all made plans to have fans yet, or are you still working through all that? Yeah, I mean, that would be more of a question for the front office stuff. Yep. Uh, I know, you know, I'm sure we're going to basically be kind of like any other business. If you don't have a mask, we're going to give you a mask probably. I don't know. I'm sure we'd still have a mask. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'll have hand sanitizer all over the stadium. You know, when I was in Kodak and we had that ball league, uh, we had hand sanitizer. I think it was like every 30 feet you had to pass by a hand sanitizer. So there's plenty of hand sanitizer going around. Yeah. We had some great vendors over there, over there in Moonshine Country. You know, they were making us <laughs> hand sanitizer and giving it to us and all that no kind doubt. of stuff. So, uh, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting so far. I mean, yeah. 
kind of looking. Just I just want to see uh, want to see people come back to the ballpark. Yeah, you know, well, and then and play some games. I hear you. I, we all do. I, I anything getting back to normal, and and you're slowly and surely doing it. But I'm with you on that, and I just want to see people playing and enjoying it, and you know, reaping the 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 things that you're doing and, and, and appreciating it for what you, you know, right. all the hard work and all the challenges you've had to face. So yeah. what is the, uh, what's the biggest difference outside of, it sounds like the amount of work you had between Kodak and, and, um, and Memphis. Is there, I mean, with the, with the, I'm assuming the, the, uh, did you have like a, was that a minor league team over there as well too, or? Yes, sir. It was uh, the Chicago Cubs. It was their double A affiliate. Okay. And here in Memphis is St. Louis's triple A affiliate. Okay. Uh, I mean, really, you know, a long time ago, uh, Danny Ruggiero is probably my one of my greatest mentors when I was with the Barons, and he's really hammered home. It didn't matter if there was 100 seats or – 500,000 seats, like it has nothing to do with it. It's about that field. It's about that dirt. It's about anything inside that walls, whatever happens in that side of that walls, that's your problem. It's your problem is you're the solution. And so when I was working for him, I tried to go by that every day was don't get wrapped up in a sellout. That's not, that's not what I do. I just got to make sure that game (laughs) goes off when it is a sellout. But, um, Really, we just go after this thing the same every day. I mean, there's no difference if I was in a short season situation or, uh, or a guy called, you know, ended up going to work for an MLB team. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to manage the best way I can manage the the crew, the equipment, and try to strategically place everybody where we can succeed. Yep. But never shy away from like we have to do the job 100% the right way or max effort. But uh, there's really not a whole lot of difference. And, I mean, if I ended up going to a golf course, I'd probably I'd go about the same way. I think it's just a more of a mentality thing than it is a work ethic. Right. In a lot of ways. Yeah. What, um, what was that? Um, so you, the, the, uh, the affiliate for the for, – as you said, was the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you, do you, all, do you, all, uh, do you have – I guess they play the sounds up here, don't they? Up here in Nashville, yeah. yes. I haven't. Uh, what, what's his guy? I forget the guy who's over at the Sounds now. I've been trying to. I think John's a, a friend of his. I've been trying to talk with him, but I'm interested in the baseball stuff, like the dirt part of it. Like, right. like how did you? How did you? Um, how did that come to you? Because I know you didn't get that from golf. What, what, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because so. you know the dirt part of it to me fascinates me as as the. It's it's pretty critical to the baseball field. I mean, a lot of it, a lot of the stuff happens on the dirt, not necessarily on the grass. And the grass part, that's your specialty. So talk about your the dirt part of it, and and it educates me because I don't know a lot about it. Yeah. So Thomas Trotter's at the sounds. He's Thomas. Yeah. He's a phenomenal groundskeeper. Uh, I want to talk now. The dirt. The dirt is. it's it's why me and Clinsman have the same haircut. I can tell you that right now. But, <laughs> no, it's one of those things, man. Where you know, like the very first time you learned how to drive a bobcat or a dozer, the best way to do it is get on it while everybody's gone and just play and kind of find out how it works. Right. You know, but uh, you got to find that line of 
you know, is it too dry? The ball's going to be too fast. If it's good, you're good. And if it's too much water, then it's mud, right? So right. Like, you really have to get in tune with what Mother Nature's doing, what she's going to do. I mean, because Mother Nature's undefeated. I mean, that's she's always going to get a victory. But, uh, you know, just doing different things, like not being able – don't be afraid to not try something. Sure. And any property you go to, you're going to have to do different things a little different. Uh, when we were – when I was in Birmingham, uh, the clay there that we had came from Bill Marvin. Uh, he was his five-star. You could get a super tight – the more we rolled it, the better results we got out of it. Uh, when I ended up going to Jackson, uh, we had we had the same clay, a little bit different climate, a little bit cooler. We didn't have to water as much. I mean, in Birmingham, it's I mean, it gets so so hot there. I mean, and in Jackson, we're not having to water as much, right? Or as many times. The more we rolled in Jackson. I wasn't getting the same results. It took me about three or four home stands to realize I don't have to roll it as much as I wanted to in Birmingham. And, you know, watering, we're watering less, and it makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong. And then I get to Kodak, and we're not nail dragging as much. We're more flat dragging. We're doing a lot more floating. It's a different clay there. Uh but I'm having to go back to watering more. And then we're even more north in Kodak than we were in Jackson and obviously in Birmingham. So I'm watering basically how much I was in in Birmingham when I was with Daniel. And then like it's just kinda it's just kinda strange how all the different clays, but you have to play with it. You have to get out there and you know, the time between um when we're trying to get this field dialed in at the first of the season, <clears throat> it's really just trying to do some research and development real real kind of quick and kind of get you, knock the rust off for yourself and just, you know, we'll start watering. We'll look down at the clock, water the dirt. I'll make a mental note of like, okay, it took us 45 minutes to water today. And then I'll check out the humidity and uh, just kind of see where we're at. But ultimately, a lot of guys, including myself, uh, I get this from Mark Langner when we were wilt watching was it's a feel, you know? Like how you can feel on that clay when you walk. Is it, it should feel like really cheap carpet underlay. And, you know, how much conditioner do you have? Is your conditioner old? Is it is it a fresh coated conditioner out there? So we're constantly just trying to play with it. I mean, 80% of this job is that dirt. Yeah. Uh, now, we do all of our grass work when the team's out of town as far as irrigation, fertility, verticuts, all that stuff, setting a pattern in. And really all we do to the grass during the homestand is we'll edge it the day before and we'll mow it every day, you know, for the games. Yeah. But um, that dirt, man, guys will come in at like 8, 8.30 start hand nail dragging, nail dragging, doing some floating, maybe put out, you know, a couple bags of conditioner here and there. We'll start smooth dragging that. We'll put a big shot of water on it. You know, obviously we're watching the radar to see what she's going to do to us. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. Constantly just playing with it, man. It is, uh, 
that dirt can, if you get really good at dirt, I've always believed if you can get really good at dirt, you can, you don't have to go to another interview. People will come find you. Yeah. And, I mean, Thomas has made a name for himself. Bill Marvin, obviously, you know what he's done. Um, but, but the really, really good groundskeepers have found their niche with dirt and, I'm still I'm still trying to get there. Some days uh, I question why I'm doing this. <laughs> is there is there specific tools that you use? I know, like for golf greens, there's soil moisture sensors, different things that you're trying to kind of get a feel of where things are. Is there specific tools for dirt that you use? Maybe some kind of firmness meters or anything like that. You no, know, a lot of those a lot of those guys are starting to use those field scouts. Yeah, uh, just to check their moisture stuff. Uh, a couple of years ago, we did it, and then not really sure if it. I didn't give it enough long enough term of of my own research to call it good or not good. Right. Uh, but yeah, man, I'm just really man, just kind of take you know your key or your knife and just kind of poke it in the clay. And yeah. When you pull it out, if it pulls out a small little chunk, and you know it's it's not wet enough, you know. Yeah, and then but you can't do that right there before the game because you can only add so much water before the game. Yeah, really, just uh, the best tools, man, is is your brain and walking across it with your feet every day yeah. and just trying to get the feel. That I guess that was going to be my next question. It's probably just a lot of feel and and what you've experienced over time, where you 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 already kind of know what, what's going on. I mean, you, you can make small adjustments, but. You can tell pretty much by just looking, feeling, touching, all that stuff. Yeah, it's one of those things over time. Like when I was really, like, really becoming a, uh, this is going to sound bad. When I became a, a pretty good, a really good wilt watcher, right? Oh, yeah. I was at farm, I was at farm Links, and me and Mark Langer had a conversation, and I was, man, I was missing off this one green. And it really wasn't a big issue, but he pulled some. He pulled a probe, and he's like, "You shouldn't do this one." And and he showed me why. And like the moisture that he, that we were feeling in that was good to him, and he wanted a little bit more of that situation. And then there was some other greens, and just like trying to get that feel for you know number five green is different from number ten. Number ten is going to be different from eighteen, and just trying to feel that. So like when you go to these stadiums and you got these big overhangs like here at the you know, I may not have to water that plate or that third baseline as much as I would first or second base or second or shortstop or whatever. Yeah. And so you got to constantly just be on top of it, constantly talking to your interns and your game day help, like letting them get a feel for it because they're, they're here to learn too, right? Yeah. And, and so that way, if you got to cut them loose on the hose, they don't wash you out of the game or – we don't have to go back out there and water an extra time. Yeah. So, and just trying to really have a lot of discussions out there on it, talk about it, learn it, and and go from there. How much How much time do you spend like on the mound and the home plate area and stuff like that? Is that the like the bigger you, you're really kind of finding dialing those in, or is, I, I mean, I I got all kinds of questions, but I mean, I'm assuming like players have different feels and. You know, pictures. Yeah, and- so the the mound, um, home plate is kind of on the dirt wise. I've always enjoyed working on the plate. All of our measurements come from there. All the edges, all the detail that's up there. Like just from a, a when the game comes on, 
like that's one of the big focal points is the play area. You got the chalk and all this other stuff, you know. But my assistant Zach uh, is really good with a mound, and he'll spend you know probably about 30 to 40 minutes after the game, and then that'll leave him about 30 to 40 minutes the next day, just getting it getting it good, keeping the moisture in, and make yeah. sure there's plenty of conditioner on it, that kind of stuff. The um, the the plate, you know, just trying to make sure it's flat. You know, you don't want a guy slide in there and snag his cleat on the plate or anything like that. So, like, it's got to be flat. The um, the other part of the skin, you know, like where the guy holds the runner on at first base, he'll usually kind of dig a hole, that kind of thing. Or they keep sliding back in. They'll move some stuff around every once in a while. So, over time, we'll pop that, you know, we'll, we'll refloat that out. Maybe till it up, refloat it out, sure. re-roll it, get it flat again, that kind of thing. But I mean, it's a the the bullpens are the same. I mean, these guys throw in these bullpens now just as much as they throw in a game. I mean, our guys will get here at you know for a seven oh five start, they're out here throwing in a bullpen at like one o'clock because they got uh, all these guys that are needing to throw side sessions or you know just stretch their arm out or they're wanting to work on something. Yeah. You know? so, constantly uh just making sure that we're all we got it we we're just trying to simulate a consistent game situation yeah i'm going to question as far as like these guys want different things yeah i mean uh so uh most of the dominican guys and puerto rican guys uh all of the latin players you know they grew up playing this game pretty dry conditions right? Ooh, have you been on any of the fields down there man those things are rough so they don't want as much water in their in their uh in their fielding lane you know and the american guys we you know they're growing up i mean alabama i think alabama and lsu they kick off today right so uh you know they kind of play in a really tough time of year it's kind of a little bit more on the wet side and all that stuff so the american guys tend to want it more wet in their fielding zone and around the bases and stuff like that so into a situation a couple of years ago, one of the Latin guys didn't want me to put hardly any water out there, and then the American guy that's playing shortstop wanted all this water out there, and it's like, man, I can't have this thing looking like I didn't water at all, and I watered for you, and yeah. I didn't water for the next guy. Like, I can't, can't do that. But yeah. I tell you what, man, really, really for that situation is for young groundskeepers, it's a, it's a dangerous line, but you, but you got to figure out a way to navigate it. And right. That is. You got to build a relationship with those guys so they can come and ask, right? Yeah. But you got to make sure that that relationship line stays that you're trying to help them. Not you're not trying to be their friend. You're not trying to do this. You're not trying to do that. Like, but they got to be able to come and ask you. They're not questioning what you're doing. They're just they're trying to feel more confident. Sure. Right. Sure. We're trying to give them confidence, but. Uh, the guys that I've been able to work with in the past with the White Sox and uh, especially Arizona, the Cubs, pretty easy to work with. You yeah. just gotta, but you gotta put yourself out there. You're gonna put yourself in some bad situations a couple times, but all in all, you're just trying to get the best product for them, and they know that. Yeah. On a walk me through like a game day situation where you got a home game and you've you know, basically I imagine most of the mowing part of it's done. How do you prep the field after say batting practice or pitching like you was talking about to get it ready for when the fans show up or whatever? 
All right. So, so for a game day, uh, we'll say it's a seven Oh five start. Yes. Uh, so I usually will get in here like six forty five, seven o'clock and in the morning. I'll crack. Yes, sir. So All right. I'll, yeah. I'll crack open a Dr. Pepper or Diet Mountain Dew. If you need a sponsor, tell them to hit you up, I guess. All but, right. Um, I walked the I walked the field. I You're not a my coffee seat. guy. Nah, yeah. not old enough yet. I hear you. Hey, I switched. I switched for. I was drinking like, not to go off sideways on you, but I used to drink about ten or twelve diet cokes a day when I was a superintendent. Oh, that's, and that's and, basically. Yeah, and but I had to get. I said I'm gonna start drinking coffee. So I don't know if it's any better for me, but anyway, <laughs> you'll yeah. get there at some point. Right. So yeah, I walked the field the entire field uh you know just really looking for anything that uh stands out you know mostly my ceiling you know if we got anything yeah because it's really going to be my last chance to get if i need to spray it or if i need to mix up a backpack or i need to make a whole tank of it or whatever then i can address it uh I, i'll come back in i'll grab the log mower I'll make sure it cuts paper. We make sure we make sure it papers every day. Uh, so I'll go out on the sidelines. Uh, by the time I get done, get started on the infield, my assistant should be getting here. And the reason why I get here so much earlier than them is it allows me to like I have my plan, but Mother Nature has her plan. Sure, right. And so he he's been with me long enough. There's A, B, C, and D. Right. Right. Maybe long gel dragon, maybe circle nail dragon, maybe he can just hop on the outfield mower, maybe get the hose out, whatever the case may be. Maybe take over walk mower and I gotta go to a meeting. So usually nine times out of ten, he's gonna go ahead and start mowing the outfield. So I've already papered it, I've already checked it. We always every day we check the oil and the and the equipment, we check all the fluids. Um and it's just a, it's a great habit I got into a long, long time ago. So we'll go out. He'll start mowing by – so now we're probably at about 8.45, right at 9 o'clock. The interns should already be here or our day staff. So they, you know, they may have to go – depends on what kind of game it is. Uh, you know, if we had a game the night before, they got some bullpen mount work to do, get the bullpens ready to go. If not, they'll start working on the skin, uh, maybe nail drag and raking baselines, kind of putting out some conditioner. And the application we call that is get the dirt ready for water, right? Because right. when I get done walk mowing, it's time to put a big shot of water on the on the skin. So we'll flow, you know, we'll flow through that. Walk mowing's done. He's uh, probably about halfway done with the outfield by now. We'll put we'll put me and the guys will put some water on the skin, and then we'll have somebody basically like, uh, you know, dragging the track. Somebody's probably brought the wall mower back down. We'll wash that up. We'll start kind of just gearing up. Like we really need to be eating lunch by eleven. At least have a good clear path to what we're eating by eleven o'clock, and usually just, just everybody goes and gets something. Uh, on a game day, I can't leave, so I'll just give my debit card or whatever. Somebody will bring it back. We'll do the Venmo thing. But the most important thing 
that I think is overlooked with a lot of guys. We eat lunch together. Absolutely. Now, I'm not saying that you, you can't go to Huey's over here and I can go to, you know, McDonald's or something, but we're going to bring it back and we're going to eat together. Yep. And um, during that time we're eating, I mean, we're, you know, we're cutting up or whatever. We're having our time. We're also going to have a, where are we at? What do we got? What we got left? Who's got what? And where are we going to be at? Because we do have some major deadlines we have to hit every day. By that time, Zach's finished up, so we're eating lunch. Um, for the rest of the day, every time you walk out the gate, you got to take a B- piece of BP equipment for you. We'll stage it up on the side on the warning track. Somebody's already dragging the warning track, floating edges, that kind of thing. Come back from lunch, they're doing that. I'll probably walk the skin a little bit just to see what I'm – now it's time for me to try to start to kind of dial it in. I'll spend some time with Zach. And, you know, the interns come out there and we'll talk about it or whatever. I may hand drag it. I may uh, hand nail it. I may uh, use a big hand broom to use on it. Yeah. Just kind of – really just kind of depends. Sure. Um, now we're starting to make what we call a push for BP. So now we've got all of our BP equipment out there. Uh, bullpen is probably going to get another shot of water, get those broomed up, paint the rubber, paint the plate. Uh, everything's ready for, the, for that to go. Depending on if we have uh, early work or evolutions, whatever the teams want to call them, you may have a guy come out and want to take some ground balls. may want to have a couple guys hit on the field a little early. So – we may have to set up BP early. But we'll check the board or get an email and visit with the manager, just kind of talk to him about where we're at. And, you know, if we're going to set up for early work, we don't have to set up all the BP equipment. We just need an L screen, a pitching platform, the wedge, uh, the big, the turtle, and maybe one sideline mat. There's no need to put out both if there's not going to be anybody out there, you know? Right. So – um, my guys usually will try to shag balls for those guys just to, you know, the, my theory there is, is it's less time that they're out there walking around and dragging their feet, you know? And if I'm shagging balls for them, then I need that field one day more than they do because I didn't put the tarp on at night or whatever. Right. <laughs> I got smoke by Mother Nature. <laughs> and I can be like, hey, you know, we shagged balls for y'all for the past three months. Like, I need, yeah. I need no BP today, you know? So, and, and, you know, it kind of gives the guys something to look forward to and enjoy it. And yeah. So we're out there, we'll snag some balls for a little while, help them pick it up, flip the mats back over. Now we've got BP, track it smooth again, put another shot of water on it, enough water to get us through two to three hours of BP stuff, right? Right. right. So when they very first come out there, like it can be kind of a little sloppy, but by the time it's done, it's kind of a dust pile. So now it's, uh, like I'll come back here. I'll catch up on emails, return phone calls. Uh, a rule that I've kind of incorporated for, for my program that I've kind of built is anytime a BP is going on, two people have to be on the field. Two of my guys have to be on the field. And really what that's for is, uh, they want to move a screen then let my guys do it instead of just you dragging across dirt and pulling grass and all that stuff. Right. And because at the end of the day, we're, we're, we serve them. I mean, we're basically waiters and waitresses, you know? Yeah. So 
I usually come back here, catch up on the emails, the phone calls, like I was saying. I'll take a shower, and then I'll go out there and replace somebody. And those guys, you know, they can come in. If they want to take a shower, they can change, get ready for the game. We'll build a pregame cart, you know, two rakes, two shovels, two scoops, this, you know, conditioner, paint, chalk, chalker. Like, we have a list. Check it off. And I read the list. You look in the cart. Then you read the list, and somebody else looks in the cart. Got bases, all that stuff put all together in a cart. We drive the cart out there. Uh, once that last ball's hit by the visiting team, we start popping mats, flipping them over. Every mat gets rolled up the exact same way every day. So that way you're not fighting mats. Or sure. Does this mat go here? Does this mat go there? So it's – and you end up not wasting so much time with it. So it gets rolled up the same way, same spot of the cart. Guy pulls the cart off. I'll drag the infield. Other guys uh, dragging the frame, basically just what the sand pro can't get. Another guy's uh, doing the plate. Another guy's doing the baselines. Then the guy's doing the plate. <clears throat> he'll chalk it off, or he'll paint the batter's boxes and the catcher's box. Another guy's laying his own string. By that time, he's laying his string. I should be dragging at about shortstop. One guy's doing the mound. Just broom it up, paint the rubber, put the spike pad in. His job, once he finishes that, he goes out and grabs the hose. He rolls it out, but he doesn't put it in the quick coupler yet. The whole time we're doing that, though, is really just checking that radar. You know, even though we're good, you still got to look at it. You never know. I mean, like yeah. you said earlier, Tennessee, no telling what's going to happen. I mean, it may be 85 degrees tomorrow, right? Who knows? It might. It might. So... Just checking, just checking everything, and uh, once the guy gets done running his string, he'll start chalking. Then the guy that was doing the plate, once the guy's done chalking, he's right behind him. He rolls the string up. Guy puts the chalker away. Guy puts the string in, in the cart, and I pull the sand pro off, and we go to water. Um, Sometimes we'll make one pass across the skin. Sometimes we'll make two. Sometimes we'll have to make three. It really depends on how, how hot it was yeah. or how much they were on the dirt, that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, what we try to do is we try to finish about 15 minutes before is a goal. And that just gives us, for the oh, crap situation, we right. forgot to do this, we forgot to do that, and pop the bases in and try to get a victory tonight. There you go. Do you do all your watering by hand? Is all is all of it? No, do you have? I mean, in, on the dirt, do you do you water it by hand? Yeah, everything's by hand. Uh, you know, there's a guys have in the past they've tried to put sprinklers to, you know, like an I twenty or an I forty or something like that out there, but uh, the way the wind blows inside the stadium, it never blows like a real straight line. It's just kind of. You know, because it comes up over a roof and down in, so it swirls a lot. Yeah. And it's just not accurate. So, and, you know, that slab of clay is not going to dry 100% accurate either. So there's areas that you're going to water more and less and that kind of stuff. Right. The um, the dirt itself, is it, is it like have, like golf greens are built, you know, they have different construction methods and stuff. Do you come across, they, they virtually built the same or is you – if you experience they're kind of a little different, every single one of them. Imagine they are, but 
you know. Yeah, I mean the the ideal the um, if you're wanting to build one, a slab of clay, the ideal thing to be would have to be a six to eight inch slab of clay. Um, you know, there's man, look, man, that's that's ex- that's expensive. Yeah. You know, you think uh, a truckload of clays, you know, twelve to you know anywhere from thousand to fifteen hundred dollars for the clay that we use. That can get expensive when you're that's, trying to. Now that's it. a specific type of material. That's not necessarily like dirt clay. I mean, right? I mean, it's a, it's a. You call it clay, but it's a, it's actually a specific right. so, type of material. Yeah, it's sand, sand silt, yeah. and clay ratio. Yeah, you try sure. to get a, like a 30, 30, 30. But and it's man, you know, it's. If you've ever seen uh, Gold Rush, it's basically what Bill Marvin's doing over there. Is he's just taking sand silt and clay, putting it all in a bin, they stir it up dump it, scoop it back up, put it back in there, and mixing it all together. Yeah. Um, now, he's going to slap me at the TTA for saying that or whatever, but uh, but his that's who you should get on here. Is, uh, it's an impressive operation he's got over there as far as yeah. clay stuff. I have talked to him. I talked to him for – about 20 minutes. I don't, we, at the TTA, he came on. It was, you know, broad stroke and kind of, it was a cool introduction. Right. But I would definitely like to talk to him in depth about, about it because, you know, it's an area that yeah. I don't know a whole lot about. Right. So under that, under that clay, uh, there's been different ways constructed. Some, some guys have a geofabric up under it, then there's slab of clay. Some people have stone that's been rolled and compressed, almost like a similar, very, very similar to a billy bunker. Okay. Uh, but not like a billy boy. Yep. And then they're clay on top of that. Um, and some people just have sand, and then that, then their clay starts, or their native soil, and then their sand, and then their clay starts. Uh, you know, the ideal thing is to have that six to eight inches. You really end up getting like four. If you only have two to three, you, you're going to have a real hard time making it a safe playing surface. Sure. You really will. Yeah. Because you gotta be able to withstand the pressure that cleat going in and moving. And we're not, you know the these guys are getting to be so big and so aggressive and but so good on their feet that like a two inch or three inch slab of clay is just not gonna work for those guys. Right. Like they're gonna have to have some backing on the other side. Yeah. Well, it certainly is the interesting part. I I mean, you know, I, I've always with a little experience I've always uh, – or that I've had on baseball has been minimal at best. But, uh, like, the transitions and some of those things. You know, I, I play sports, and so I can kind of recognize challenges and things of that sort. And that's whenever right. I talk to guys like yourself who are doing things that I don't do, I always am interested in how you're – you know, those those type of areas that can be problems, you know, you know, and how you deal with them. And, and certainly you've got so many unit. you've got not only the players, you've got, you know, changing weather conditions, but you also got this, the game has to perform in certain way around what you're doing. And if you've got right. a, if you've got a, a lip that's kind of not the way you want it, or like you said, the home plate's not exactly the way you want it. I mean, all those things you're having to, you know, you can get away with golf and not everything be perfect. I mean, it can, you know, as long as the holes cut right and, you know, the tees are set, I mean, you, you can go play, right? But in baseball, right. it's, you got a set of rules. You got things that can affect the play and, and you're trying to make it perfect. And so 
that's why to me, I, I love the conversation we had about the dirt and all that and how, you know, that's really uh, a key focus because, you know, you're, you're, the grass is going to be good. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to really have too much going on there. It's that dirt part of it that is um, pretty cool to me. Yeah, the grass, the, the biggest thing with the grass is, is like just in the high traffic areas and, you know, sometimes it just can't get a break. You know, yeah. we got pro games. The next thing you know, we got 14 travel games this weekend. And the next thing you know, like our team's back into town. But the transition going from grass to dirt, all the edges and stuff, like that's one of my biggest pet peeves is, is people walking on the edges that whether you, you know, you work in this department or you're the front office or whatever, it just, it's one of those things like, man, we just, I just want to keep it. It's like, just don't stand there, you know, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the biggest thing about the edges is, uh, a few years ago when Daniel Ruggiero was starting his company, Game Day Athletic Services, me and him started noticing a trend on these coaches and they were like, man, I just don't have the money to do that. I don't have the money to do that. And it's like, you can either spend $5,000 in one day having a work day or he can show you how to spend your $5,000 better, right? Like, And so we were starting to find out that these guys didn't know that they should really edge. You know, we edge once a week. The day before every homestand, I think it's edged. And so our warning track is a quarter of a mile, and then the skin is uh, several hundred feet or several hundred yards of of linear foot or whatever um we can edge our entire field edge it scuffle hoe it rake it up and refloat the edges back in about an hour and a half instead of spending all day doing it right, right? well we don't get the build up because we're getting that out all the time you know after the end of the homestand we'll take a backpack blower and really hardcore blow that edge to get that conditioner or any clay chunks that we can't get out with a rake, get it out of there. But it's, it's a constant maintenance. And it's another, some other good advice I got years ago was, you know, that team's out of town just because it's five o'clock don't mean you can go home. Right. Right. So you're constantly working on that. You're constantly working on your transitions. I mean, you don't want to be sitting there in the dugout when the team's playing and the guy takes a ball to the face home team or opposing team, not the way these guys hit the ball. You don't oh, want that. For real. You don't You don't want to see that. You don't want to be a part of it, you know. And ultimately the reason why a lot of these athletic fields are starting to look so good now is, is the safety issues been hammered so hard by all the mentors is, you know, to be honest with you, nobody cares if you motor straight line or not, right? I mean, yeah. nobody does. Uh-huh. But those players want that field safe. For real. You know, it's got to be safe. Like, yep. they got to have confidence. I mean, you got balls come off the bat 115 miles an hour now. I mean, I'm, I'm not standing in front of it. Nope. You know? And, but I, w- but I, but I, I would if I knew what it was. Right? Yeah. So. Yeah, you've got to create an area where you're not blamed for anything that happens. <laughs> and that's the, that's the. That's the tough spot. I mean, I mean, I say it like that tongue in cheek, but I mean, you're right. You don't want a ball taking a hop for something you could have prevented or you missed or whatever, or somebody noticing something. And, you know, that's, that's where that, you know, being diligent about your technique, your, you know, checking it, your checks and balances, all of that stuff that you have to, um, 
you know, dive into and, and, and be pretty hardcore about it and, and, and know that, you know, like, Hey, nobody's really going to care that we, you know, didn't mow that field, you know, you know, in a certain way or whatever, but this right here, this is what's important. Yeah. Cause I mean, the, all the stripes and the patterns and all that stuff, man, that's really, to be honest with you, 100% that's for the fans. Yeah. I mean, that's for, as for Miss Smith to walk into the stadium and be oh, like, look at that. how did they do, how they do that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, those players, they don't care about what pattern you mow. No. You know, they just, they just want that ball to, to stay true. Yeah. Well, we talked a, a lot of shop. What, what, you got a favorite player or player story that you could tell without, you know, I mean, that you want to talk about it, like a player that came across or you ran in, you know, you may not interact with a lot of the, the players at all, but you got a favorite one that you might uh, be able to share? Man, yeah, like, uh, I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple of them. I got a golf one. Uh, I was walk mowing at the, at the time it was the Bruno's Memorial Classic down in Birmingham. Now it's the, uh, the Regions Tournament. Okay. Like one of the, I think it's a major for them now. And, I was walk mowing a putting green and Jim Colbert came up to me and gave me a Callaway bucket hat. <laughs> and I'm looking at him and he takes his hat off. He says, son, man, if you don't cover up your head, you're going to look like this. And just thought it was the coolest thing, you know, like he, he could have, you know, cared less, but he took his time out to just try to watch out for a 20 year old sure. kid. Yep. That just, I was just trying to mow a straight line, you know. But uh, I've got that one. I mean, um, was hitting balls at Kiva Dunes one day, uh, kind of on vacation, and Freddie Couples just come walking up. Dang. I mean, it was his course, right? Yeah, I mean, sure. It's like one of the first courses he designed. He comes up and starts hitting balls beside me. I'm like, man, that's that's boom boom. Yeah. You know, like now that's pretty and, cool, right there. Yeah. So I, my natural ball flight is like a little five-yard cut, so he showed me how to hit like this little three-yard draw. So uh kind of helped me with my game. And yeah. I'm just sitting there like, I got this little free little lesson from Boom Boom. Like, man, well, this is crazy. Oh, uh, One of the best baseball memories, a couple of baseball memories I got, when I was with the Braves, uh, we'd sit there in the tunnel at Turner Field, watch the game, mostly games. Sometimes I'd watch it in the shop. Most times just sit there in the tunnel and uh, Hank Aaron, man, uh, comes up and good game tonight, huh, guys? And puts his arm, you know, just puts his hand on my shoulder and I turn around. Didn't think anything of it. Just thought it was some random guy <laughs> or one of the guys from the crew. And I look over, man, and it's it's, uh, it's, it's a pretty big deal to, to, to just get to see Hank Aaron, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then not just some random guy. <laughs> yeah, and then next thing you know, man, he's just kind of sitting there and he's man, y'all got anything to drink around here? And some guy brings him this cup of watered down power into we had in the shop. It's like, man, you're gonna give Hank Aaron some watered down power. Like, go to the concession stand and get him something, you know? Yeah, no but, doubt. But like just you know, those guys like they're they just want to be treated like us. Yep. You know, that's what's crazy about it is we put all these guys on a pedestal and they just want to be treated like just a normal human being, yeah. you know, even though you're the greatest home run hitter of all time. Yeah. No you, doubt. Just be, you just want to be Hank, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, just, you know, watching those guys pick at each other and pick at us and some good relationships, a lot of good relationships with the Diamondbacks, man. Yeah. Uh, 
and all that kind of stuff. But but yeah. No interest in the football. I'll tell you, I got a, I got a great one for you. All and right. uh, so when I was in Jackson, do you do you remember Doug Drebeck? 1990 Cy Young winner pitch for the Pirates. That name, I remember the name, but I'm not a huge yeah. baseball fan, so that tells you anything. Killer mustache, but uh, I was a Braves fan. Girl, I'm still a huge Braves fan. Uh, so I knew exactly who Doug was because he he gave it to us pretty bad yeah. when he was with the Pirates. So this was the start of the 2017 season. I had a townhouse in Jackson. And I had two extra bedrooms, so I told our manager, J.R. House, he's with, he's a Cincinnati's third base coach now. I said, hey, man, if you got, you know, a couple players or whoever, I've got an extra two rooms here that I'll rent for super cheap. Yep. And he's like, okay, I, I don't want any players living there, uh, but I got two coaches. So Jason Camilli, our hitting coach, and Doug Drabeck moved in with me. He's like, hitting, hitting coach and pitching coach, very interested in it. I was like, okay. He's like, uh, Jason Camilli and Doug Drabeck. And I was like, like, oh, wait, the, the 1990 Cy Young Award winner, I'm a Red Ravens guy. Yep. So Doug comes in and we had a, we had a workout day and they were staying at the hotel for three days and he's going to move into the house. So opening day is when, uh, Arizona had played San Francisco. Uh, Baumgartner hits a home two home runs as a pitcher off of Greenkey, and I think Greenkey hits a home run later that game too, as well. And so they're moving in. I'm sitting there on the couch, like, man, this is like Doug. Doug's in the in the bathroom. <laughs> Hanging out, you know, it's crazy. So later that afternoon, uh, I finish. Like I go back to stadium, check on everything, make sure the irrigation's off. Come back. Doug's sitting there at the in the kitchen right behind me. It's an open area. Jace Camilli's laying on my chase, just kind of talking, chit chatting. We're watching the MLB Network, and they're interviewing Pedro Martinez. And he's and they ask him like, did anybody ever go yard on you for opening day? Another pitcher, and Doug goes. Camille stands up, is like, no way. He's like, yeah, Astrodome. And like they're having a whole conversation. I'm missing what they're saying. <laughs> Doug sitting behind me, opening up his probably his thirteenth beer of the day, and they show <laughs> they show the video of Doug Drabeck taking Pedro Martinez deep on opening day in the Astrodome. I'm like. <laughs> How crazy is is this situation that's, right now? That's awesome. <laughs> you gotta love those sto- kind of stories, man. That's that's yeah. that's you know that's that's good stuff right there. I appreciate you sharing that. That's awesome. Well, man, uh, what do you what do you got? What do you like to um, to do for fun? What what is something that you're when you're not beating around the the two acres of dirt and grass out there? Swing the golf club. Yes. Swing. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, you're gonna enjoy. Like, you got to get around to some of the Memphis courses. I know a bunch of them guys down there. Yeah, man. Uh, you know, they're. I guess they just did away with Germantown Country Club. Yeah. So I played it uh, a couple years ago with uh, JD Boys, who was at Jackson Country yeah. Club. Uh, I played Jackson a few times, stuff like that. But there's some great courses around here. I got to figure out a way to get on Southwind. Oh, I can get you there. 
Well, I don't know if I can, but I know I know somebody I can call. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll make sure uh, Nick Benaz hears this hears yeah. this podcast or yeah. something like that. Nick's a good one, man. I'm yeah. I'm coming back down. Actually, I'm coming back down. Um, so maybe I, if the games are going, I, I have the so two years in a row I've helped with the World Golf Championship down there at uh, Southwind, and I'll be back again this year. So I, we'll we'll hook up and. And uh, at least go have a beer or something, if anything. But... Yeah, give you give you a tour of the stadium. Absolutely, yep. I mean, yeah, I love to play a lot of golf, man. Yeah. Uh, and then that's really about it. I mean, yeah. between between that and here, sit the house really. Yeah. Got family, kids, anything like that yet? No, nope. yeah, no wife, no kid. All my family's back in uh, Gadsden, Alabama, yeah. so I get to see them maybe like once or twice a year. Really, just around the holiday kind of thing. Sure. But, uh, definitely miss seeing them every day. Yeah, so, I hear you. Yeah. Well, on you know the only bad part of this whole conversation was that I found out you're an Auburn fan, you know, and I'm I'm an Alabama fan. You probably figured that out, but you know, other than that, <laughs> man, man I've had this, a man. I've had a blast. If this makes you if this makes you feel better, I'm I'm probably the only Auburn fan that'll admit this, but I love Nick Saban. I hey, can't get enough there you of go. Yeah. Well, you know, it's hard. He's hard. To not like, I mean, I know it's tough for some, you know, especially people in the state of Alabama, but I mean, he, man, it's just something about him. He's just incredible, incredible coach, motivator of men, um, you know. Well, just, there's, there's a lot of things about, you know, a lot of people from Alabama have to understand a lot of things is there's been a, there's been a time now where there hasn't been a lot of good things going on in Alabama, like great things, right? National, like to grab national attention. Yep. What what he's doing down there and and getting that school back on the right path and that kind of thing like is he's doing a lot of great things for the state of Alabama. Yeah. Whether you like him as you know as a coach or not, that's your own deal. But as any Alabamian, you got to appreciate what he's done. You know, and that kind of goes along with how Alabamians, you know, Alabama fans should feel about Tommy Tuberville or or a guy like Charles Barkley and, and Brett Oates is about to come in that same or. Uh, Coach Oates, Red Oates? Nate, Nate uh, Oates. Nate Oates. Nate Oates. Yeah. Um, is how they should feel about him in a few years, too, yeah. is what they're doing for that state. Not just – not a basketball or football or anything like that, but what they're doing for this, you know, that That's state well is, yep. is pretty remarkable. Yep. And it's we're, – we're really fortunate to have, you know, people like that in that, in that state. Yep. Well, that's well said. Well, Eric, man, I appreciate uh, sitting down with you. I've taken a, a, a lot of your time, and it's good conversation. But, I mean, we'll do this again at some point. And um, it, this has been a lot of fun. It's good to meet you and talk with you. And even though we can't be per in, together, um, you know, it's fun doing it over FaceTime and, and uh, chatting for a little bit. We went almost an hour and 15 minutes, by the way, if you're wondering. So it goes by fast. Just try to get you some content yeah. out there. Well, where can everyone – yeah, before you have to hire Klinsman to come back on here for about the thirtieth time. I, I'm, I'm probably gonna. I think we're gonna try to tape uh, later this afternoon. So I'm, I'm gonna be. I mean, if I can get out, we may go uh, jump on another episode of the, the other podcast that I'm doing with him. So it'll be fun. But uh, that's yeah, gonna I be that's it. gonna be a good one. We're gonna have guests and things. Uh, I think, but we're gonna start. We're gonna tackle some topics and have some real talk and some real conversation around our industry that. Uh, you know, doesn't get, you know, you might see something on TV and they talk about it, some announcer, but we're going to dive more into stuff like that. You know, not really call people out or, or you know, but it's just going to be some real conversation about stuff that 
do's and don'ts and whatever, you know, who knows where it goes. Right. So, I mean, I've. It's a good thing about that, man. Yeah. No, he's a great, he's a great guy. He's doing some huge things over there. And yeah. uh, I think uh, you know, a lot of people kind of misunderstand where he comes from or where I come, stuff, come from as well. But yeah. uh, he and I can relate on a lot of different issues. Sure. Well, he's a, he's a human. The, um, you know, the superintendents, uh, for whatever reason, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, but the super, golf course superintendents get a lot of the, the limelight when it comes to our industry. They're kind of like the, the top dogs. I, I don't believe this, but, I mean, they, that's just kind of how it goes. But, uh, you know, what's cool is talking to sports turf individuals and people that are doing that side of it. There's, they got a, their whole – I mean, my – some of my biggest people that listen to me or some of the episodes that are most listened to are all sports turf. Cause that, that community is solid and uh, just yeah. needs to get that you voice know, out there. Well, the one thing that you may, you may not know this, but how many golf course superintendents are there in the country? Well, there's thousands. There, right? yeah, there's thousands. There's 16,000 golf courses. There's 135 minor league head grounds keepers. Yeah. So, when they are considered the top dog, it may just be because there's more of them. Yeah, and that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Because when we go to the TTA, I mean, if you look at, you know, our forums and our our classes that we have, we got anywhere from 30 to 50, maybe 60 people sitting on in one of our sessions. Yeah. You go into the There's a reason why that golf course side has got the bigger annex and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. you know. Bill Marvin, Darren Sebo, Ryan Story, uh, all those guys that are trying to grow it have they're up against the wall, but they've grown it, man. Yeah. I mean, it's gotten our side has gotten bigger every year, and it's it's something to be proud of as well for everybody. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I'm getting to do my part. I've actually uh, been invited to go down to Alabama and talk to those guys, so I'm excited about that in uh, in uh, maybe a month or two. So I'm just trying to man talk to as many people in our industry as I can, get you guys out there and uh, hopefully get some content that people enjoy and listen to and keep coming back, you know, and Absolutely. So anything I can do for you, you just let me know, you know, I will. Well, tell everybody uh, where you, they can find you on social media and all that. I know um, if you, know, you can give you your, you know, your business or personal or whatever you want, but just if they, if you're on, if people follow you on social media or if they don't follow you, they can find you there. Yeah, so my Facebook is just Derek Taylor. Um, I try not to do anything political on that or anything like that. And there Twitter go, smart. is uh, at Memphis Redbirds GC, I believe. Okay. I'll send you a text of what it is, and then I'll, if you want to I'll, share I'll, I'll, I'll definitely tag you when I send it out. Okay. Yeah. But, yep. yeah, uh, really just try to keep it to what we're doing yep. and – you know, usually if people comment, I usually just direct message them back so nothing gets kind of yeah. put out there too much or whatever. But, um, yeah, that's okay. about it. Well, cool. Well, uh, enjoy getting the two foot of snow off the ground and, and everything, and hopefully that gets by. And uh, good luck with uh, getting to the season and and uh, figuring all this craziness out. And, uh, once again, I appreciate you coming on and chatting with me for a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Well, that's it, everybody. Eric Taylor with the Memphis Redbirds. Go follow him on uh, Twitter, everywhere. Uh, we'll share that uh, when the link comes out. But uh, that's it for the episode, man. Eric, appreciate it. And uh, until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah.